Um, so the last time I saw you follows two girls who are... I need you closer to the sorry, microphone. Uh, two girls who meet at the beginning of university and form a really intense friendship. Um, and then it goes spectacularly wrong. And Livy, who's my heroine, is kind of haunted by this friendship for the, for the next decade or so. And as the book begins, uh, Sally is killed in a car crash. Um, so the novel is Livy's unravelling of the circumstances around Sally's death and her unravelling of their friendship. So what I'm going to read is the prologue from the book and then uh, the first flashback where Livy and Sally meet. And you can tell me when to stop. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll raise my hand. Okay. Speed. I've always been fast. A low boredom threshold will do that to a person. How fast is too fast? I think I've just taken myself to the edge. Can't count the junctions anymore. They're nothing but blurry smudges in the farthest corners of my eyes. I can't see much at all, not with the acid tears that are biting into my face, the sobs cresting up inside me and smashing me against something hard and cold and unforgiving. I'm swerving now, cutting across lanes, speeding up to make it past gas-belching monsters, so much bigger and fiercer than my stupid little shell of a car. Horns blare, lights flash, and I'm speeding up. Speeding away from everything, like it doesn't matter. It does matter. Another sob reaches up from deep inside me, grabbing hold. Sirens are starting up now. They're howling like animals, chasing me down. They're distant, but they're getting closer with every passing second. They'll trap me. You can't run away. That's the God's honest truth. But my foot grinds down on the accelerator without me asking. Once you start running, you can't stop. You can't stop. Okay. So I'm going to cut through chapter one. Um, which is where Livy finds out about Sally's death, and then uh, read from their first meeting. My first day at Leeds was one of those rare, lethal occasions I couldn't keep mum and dad apart. Both of them were determined to propel me into adult life, and it would have been too cruel to play favourites and condemn one of them to the parental scrap heap. We squashed my stuff into the boot of dad's brown Volvo, a vehicle which I knew embodied why mum had left him. By then she was tearing it up in a zippy Japanese candy kiss of a car then squashed ourselves in after it, all set for four hours of sticky, congealed tension. Would you mind if I open the window a crack, Jeremy? I'd prefer if you didn't. It negates the air conditioning. Translation, you're irresponsible and flighty, same as it ever was. (laughs) I do so love to be able to breathe. Translation, you stifled my womanly magnificence for a quarter of a century. (laughs) I sat in the back feeling nauseous for so many reasons I couldn't have identified the root cause. Polishing off a family pack of Maltesers solo, the irony too great to risk offering them around probably clinched it. (laughs) As the junctions crawled past, fear knotted my intestines and compressed itself in my chest. The reality of being hundreds of miles from all that was familiar starting to hit home. It wasn't just the prospect of losing the prickly, scratchy comfort blanket of my family. It was also the idea of being severed from James. He and I had done everything together the last couple of years everything other than the thing that I most wanted to do. And now he'd be at the University of East Anglia, right at the other end of the country, girls vying for his attentions. The thought was almost too much to bear. But it was me who'd chosen to go so far north. I knew very little about myself at that age, but one thing I did know was that I was clever. Many moons later, we finally parked, Dad efficiently hauling my suitcases out of the recesses of the boot, Mum critically surveying the shabby facade of my hall through her gigantic sunglasses. Dad dragged my luggage up the stairs, refusing any help, as if to do so would emasculate him even more. Mum and me clattering behind him. 
Sally was the first person I saw, hanging out of the kitchen with an oversized cartoon mug in her hand saying, world's best daughter. The sight of Dad's red, sweaty face made a spontaneous grin break across her own. Do you want a hand with them? She said, taking in the bizarre tableau we made. Her voice was a little nasal, infused with a merriness that felt a million miles away from our dreary middle-class repression. There was an instant confidence about her, like she could read it all in a heartbeat and knew exactly where to put herself. She wore a stretchy, red lycra mini-dress, offset by a pair of black woolly tights, which rescued her from looking like she'd just come from a night clubbing. Her black hair, dyed? Couldn't quite tell, was cut into a complicated layer bob held fast by a thick layer of hairspray, the volume speaking of hours spent with her head upside down, blasting it with a dryer. She was skinny. The way the lycra hugged her jutting hip bones advertised the fact, but there was a soft padding around her bottom, the final frontier that was yet to be overcome. Her eyes were a bright blue, constantly roving around, intelligence gathering. They delighted on me, and I gathered my parka closer around me, embarrassed by my ill-fitting jeans and warm green jumper. I just thought North equals cold, whereas Sally, she constructed a look, each component part balanced on top of the last, like an elaborate game of Jenga. You couldn't keep your eyes off the ultimate effect. She was magnetic, compelling, but it was more attractive than pretty. Prettiness suggests a softness that Sally rarely surrendered to. I was probably prettier in a quiet way that I was yet to even really notice. My blondy brown hair was thick and long, but I had no idea how to style it, so it simply hung there like a rug on a washing line. My makeup collection consisted of a few cheap bits and bobs from Boots, so my hazel eyes never got emphasised, and I was scared of lipstick because it always ended up on my teeth. As for my perfectly decent body, permanently encased by baggy knitwear, it never got a look in. No wonder Sally was mapping me so carefully with her eyes. She always knew when someone was ripe for transformation. Transformational corruption. Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. Very kind, but I've got it under control, said Dad, dropping the cases a little too heavily to convince. He was transfixed, his eyes locked on her. Jeremy Harper, he added, sticking out his hand. Sally Atkins, she said, leaning forward to kiss him on the cheek at the exact same moment. She was mocking him, but so very subtly that he couldn't quite catch it. She unsettled me, the way she exposed us with a few light brush strokes. I'm Olivia, and I think that's my room, I said, pointing to the door. I'll come and find you later, yeah? few of us were going to head down the bar. Talent spot, she added with a naughty laugh. Absolutely. I think we might head out for supper, but if I'm here, then count me in. I hated the way I sounded, like a pastiche of the geeky grammar school girl that I was. More me than me. Come on, Mum and Dad, you know it makes sense, she said, voice a lilting tease. I looked at them, imagined the awkwardness of dinner. Our glasses chinking in a celebratory toast with too much undertow to ever ring true. Mum was smiling at her, taken by her cheek. I'll see how it goes, I conceded. You do that, she said, tenacious. She held my gaze, grinned at me, and suddenly it felt imperative that I grabbed the opportunity with both hands, that I didn't miss my moment. A girl like that wouldn't hang around. My friendship window would slam shut and I'd be left shivering in the cold. Dad deposited my suitcases in my bare matchbooks of a room and we all stood there for a second. Nice girl, he said, and I waited for the inevitable postscript. Quite a strong flavour. I like her, I said, defensive. She's a live wire, but she's quite right. Livy needs to dive right in like an otter heading upstream. Mum's ridiculous analogy clinched it. 
Soon I was hugging them goodbye, unable to look, as the Volvo made a heavy left turn around the corner. I looked up at my own prepossessing new home to see Sally watching it all from the window, blue eyes darting around so she wouldn't miss a thing. It wasn't that I'd stopped being scared. If anything, I was more scared. But at least now I knew I was in the right place. Or at least I thought I was. That's Sally. She's the one. <laughs> She's the one. Um, and Sally is sort of this kind of... Um, you know, we, we meet we meet her there, but she's a kind of spectral figure that that, that hangs over the entire book, and mm. we get a sense that she's even though you know even though um, she's dead, um, she's very much influencing the, the lives of of the people around her. Um, but I just wanted to, to to begin by kind of talking about that and about the other title that you had for this book, which yeah. I think is really interesting. Yeah. Do you want to tell people what it was? Yeah. Um, well, my sort of all time favourite book, even though it's kind of wildly flawed um is Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier so I suppose when I was um thinking about the book I I wanted to write about how we can be haunted by relationships that we've lost whether they're friendships or romantic relationships um so I suppose in one way it's slightly an homage to that book you were going to call it though the Rebecca effect yes I was but my publishers said that was ridiculous. I think it's a great title. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic title. Um, but I think it's really interesting that she kind of, you know, she's, you know, the same way we weren't sure about the first Mrs. De Winter necessarily yeah. to begin with. You know, we knew she was beautiful and she had nice lingerie because mm. Mrs. Danvers was kind of, you know, <laughs> sniffing it. Um, we, we, we didn't know necessarily if she was a, a benign influence or a malign. And you have yeah. the same kind of equivocal thing about Sally and I think yeah. I think that's a, a really interesting place to kind of start to talk about her as a character you know sure. she's both things isn't she? She is both things and I suppose what I wanted was for Livy to kind of find things to, to be able to celebrate the things she learned from Sally by the end of the book and the ways in which she although she uh, damages Livy in many ways she also kind of teaches her to be the best version of Livy she can be um yeah, but, there are, but I mean, it's, it's kind of use the word damage, which is very dramatic. Mm. I mean, there, there there are big things that happen in the book, but there is also a kind of a day to day friendship, which yes. is, which you know where Olivia and Sally are, are living together, and she's kind of you know a, a victim almost in some sense of Sally's moods. We're never quite sure. You know, she's this kind of very dramatic person, and we're never quite sure yeah. wh- where she's going to go. Yeah. Um, and I wondered if that, for you writing that, um, were you finding that as you went along? Um, or did you decide at the outset that was kind of how she would be? Well, it was partly based on friendship that I had when I was at Sussex here. But also, I wanted to write about the extremity of friendship and of female friendship. Because I think female friendships are absolutely fascinating. Mm. In that they can be incredibly powerful and rewarding. But they're intense. And I suppose I've always been someone who's had a best friend rather than just a friend. And I never had a sister. And... I've always been attracted to those quite emotionally uh, tangled relationships. Um, And I suppose the other thing I think about it is that with friendship, there are no rules. If you end a relationship, Mm. there's very kind of clear things that you do and your friends choose who they're going to ally themselves with and you don't have to see that person again. Whereas friendship, it's much more complicated to navigate your way out. Yeah, it's a different kind of paradigm, isn't it? I mean, if it's yeah. an employee, you'd fire them. If it was a partner, yeah. you'd divorce them. Yeah. If it's a friend, what do you do with them? Yes. I think that's yeah. one of the really interesting things about this book is that they have this relationship and we never quite understand, uh, or well, we do 
understand, but we're, we're kept in the dark for a very long time by you, um, mm. about exactly what it is that's, go, that's gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and how it went so dramatically wrong. But I, I think what's interesting about what you said is that, you know, it's kind of intense and this idea mm. that it's intoxicating, but it's also toxic, yes. right? Yes, yeah. Um, and lots of Livia's friends are saying to her, at the beginning, even her friends at university, you're too close to this woman. She's, yeah. you know, she's kind of too much. And you mentioned then about a kind of real friend that, that, that you'd had. Yes. So is this, I mean, it's very much inspired by that. Is it telling the same, it's not the same story, but is it, was it a way for you to work out those feelings, do you think? Yeah, I think it was. And I suppose I was interested in the fact that, you know, the best part of 20 years later, that more than previous relationships is, you know, previous romantic relationships, that's a that's a relationship where I still feel stung by what happened at the end. And I think that that's quite a universal experience for women, actually. And when I've Mm. talked to people about this book, so many people have gone, oh, that's exactly like sort of Harriet, whoever. You know, everyone's got their equivalent of Sally who they want to kind of offload about. Um, So I felt that it it would speak to a lot of women. And in the writing of it, did you kind of process those feelings? Do you feel like having got to the end of it that, that you've managed to you know, lay, lay to rest the, the posh Mrs. De Winter. It weirdly still upsets me when I see her on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> She's a really bad egg, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose the other thing uh, I wanted to write about in this book is that it's also a very slow-burn love story between mm. Livy and uh, William, who's Sally's widower. And I also wanted to write about whether or not it's something as dramatic as a death. I think when we date in our 30s and 40s, uh, there are always the relationships that came before. There mm. is always the kind of... Uh, there are always ghosts. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of heighten that and then really talk about what that means. Well, I mean, I think I think it's really interesting and this is one of the great parallels with, with Katie's book as well that we're going to be talking about is that what happens when, you know, somebody at that age when everybody's so alive and all the decisions are just, you know, all about the future, you're not thinking about the past and then somebody dies yes. and it throws the past into, re- yes. into relief, doesn't it? It becomes yeah. this kind of way of exploring exploring the past and it's so much more shocking because she's so young yeah um and there is also a question in the book which i won't reveal the answer to which is to do with how she died you know yeah. she's she's at the wheel of a car yeah yeah i mean that also i had a very dear friend here at sussex tim guest who was a writer uh and he died about three years ago and it was so shocking and i just remember the funeral it just kind of being a snapshot of where we all were mm. however many years later yeah and that was very much part of it as well because it really does make you think about mortality when you don't want to yeah. when one of your contemporaries dies especially so young yeah and, and brighton has an interesting place in the yes. novel as well tell us about that and your relationship with this place um well i was at university here my father lived here um as well when i was a teenager and um I suppose I just wanted to I wanted to put it in the novel. I wanted it to kind of be a backdrop. It's not a huge part of it, but it's, you know... It, I suppose also because the friendship that Sally's partly based on was, was something that grew here, it felt important to have that echo. Mm-hmm. But also, it's interesting that, the, the, that you use Brighton in the way that a lot of novels do, which is a place of possibilities. Yes. You know, they come... You know, the characters without revealing too much. It's always really hard <laughs> when you're talking about it the first you time. Can, you can they, reveal. They, they, they come... To, to, People come to Brighton to get away from, yes. from other places and other yep. things, don't they? So yes. I think that that's a really nice. They have a they have one romantic day here, but it's they've got quite a lot of trouble to get through after that. Yeah, <laughs> that happens a lot in Brighton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvia. Hello. Um, you mentioned about the very sudden death and um, your own experience yeah. of um, 
what does the very sudden death of someone, um, what insight does it give you as a writer in terms of it's an interesting um, question. I mean, what, what, you know, that, that you talked about losing your friend at, yes. at that point and that making you take stock yep. of your personal life. Yeah. Did you think that that's something that kind of made you change direction slightly with your writing as well? Because this, your other two novels, uh, the other novels have been more kind of romantic comedies yes. in a sense, and this yep. has got more of a thriller, yep. kind of mystery yep. edge. You know, we're feeling our way with you. You know, so do you yeah. think that had any connection? Perhaps. I knew that I wanted to diversify and that if I carried on writing romantic comedies, although I enjoyed it, I would start to feel a bit limited and I really wanted to be able to explore bigger themes. Mm. And there's so much of me in this book, in all three strands, really. Um, And, yeah, I don't know if that was related to Tim's death, but certainly I think somebody dying young certainly makes you think in all those... It's a cliche, but it's so true that life is short and that Mm. you can't be mediocre. Yeah. No, it's, very, it's, it's really interesting how the characters change as, as they get older and these kind yeah. of benchmarks, I think. And, and yeah. Kate's novel talks so much about that, so we're going to talk more about those themes in a second. Other questions? Okay, Kim? Um, you have a scarily prolific um, rate of putting books out. What's your secret? What, what, what's the secret to being so, so prolific you're not quite Barbara Cartland no, um, uh, no. <laughs> how only, many pages if you know, only so. I could be Barbara Cartland yeah, I can only hats. dream of such joy um, how do you manage to do it though I mean the kind really of balancing yeah. it's really bloody hard I mean with this one I took a few months off and went to LA and I just wrote every day and it was great to be really far away because you were at the BBC when yeah, you started this book yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a jungle and I'm terrified of the next deadline which is when? Next September, and I haven't started. <laughs> um, but it's kind of a luxury anyway. I mean, it's a great thing to have that contract and to have yes, that, you know, absolutely. to know that your book is going to be published. Yes, and, it's um, a lovely thing. Yeah. Thank you, Quirkers. Um, yes, thank you, Quirkers. <laughs> um, there is um, another relationship that's really interesting in the book that, uh, that did, did seem very resonant personally, which is the relationship between Libby and her boss. Yes. Um, her dreadful boss, Mary. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I think anybody reading it is going to sort of re- recognise yeah. that. And that's another, that's another figure where she, well, another yeah. woman where she doesn't ever know quite where she is. Yeah, she has to vanquish these figures, I think. That's her journey. I really like to think about where my heroine's got to get to, uh, what her obstacle is internally, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, and I suppose I, you know, I've worked in television my whole career without naming names. I've had some fairly mm. tricky... Uh, very gushy bosses who also can just turn on a sixpence and I really wanted to write about that kind of uncertainty yeah I, I mean I, re- I think she's an absolutely brilliant character and I really, <laughs> I really she's totally hateful and I can, yeah. I can just see her doing her kind of you know lots of big statement jewellery a pink jumpsuit and kind of you know I love you you're doing so well let me push you away and tell you how yeah. badly you're doing yeah. with a muffin lots of passive aggressive muffins in this book and all those Um, things where I had a boss where if she put she'd never put no kisses but if she put one kiss you knew you were fucked (laughs) (laughs) and then the rest of the time that's television that's that's so TV it's unbelievable just one kiss the kiss of death (laughs) the Judas kiss I'm going to take okay Julia Yeah, it's a really good question. How scared are you, or or how do you feel about you know the woman that you hate turning up on Facebook, reading reading the book and being like, that's not you know, no, but you're not sorry, but you know, how do you how do you feel about her reading that? I suppose that what I've done is I've drawn on it a lot thematically, and mm. I've drawn on it a lot in terms of the intensity of the friendship, but I haven't 
used biographical details about her and I've changed enough that I don't think that she would feel that I'd sort of uh, trashed her. But she'd know that there were themes in there that... She'd know there were themes, yeah, but I think that that's just the truth of writers. Yeah. And I've struggled with this with kind of every book to some degree. I had... uh, a hippie parents in my first book and my mum has never forgiven me. <laughs> parents constantly being on a CND march. I mean, you know. What do you do? It's <laughs> fear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the relationship she has with with, with James. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Well, I suppose we've probably all, at some point, had a friend of the opposite sex who's who's either or the same sex or the same sex, of course, (laughs) who's either kind of a bit in love with us or we're a bit in love with them, and we can't say it. And I just wanted to. I sort of experienced it both ways round at some point, and I sort of wanted to write truthfully about that as well. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting relationship because they're, they're, at different points they're both differently interested in, in each other and they sort of, yeah. you know, come close yeah. to there and then kind of pull away again. Yeah. It's slightly agonising yeah. and exhausting. Yeah, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to write as well about one of those men who's just had it quite easy. Mm. So they're charming and adorable, but they're a bit like a big dog. Um, and you slightly want to just kick them and tell them it's not always going to be this easy. Yeah. <laughs> But you kind of love them too. And they're messy and smelly yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and all of those things. It's all true. And it's a fantastic book and I really enjoyed reading it. And I did find it very exciting. And I, and I love that kind of the mystery aspect to it. And the fact that I, I, in some sense we're exploring the mis- mystery of friendship, I suppose, mm. ultimately. And mm. it's not ever done really that sensitively. So I really enjoyed it. And thank, thank you. you for being here sharing it with us thank tonight. Thank you very much. Thank you.